If you want to know the proven methods of making money by investing, then keep listening. Because I'm going to touch on the four different ways that you can make money in the stock market. I'm going to talk about mutual funds, index funds, ETFs, and more. Plus, I'm also going to talk about growth stocks versus income stocks and what you need to pay attention to and even more. Let's get started. So the stock market is still the easiest way to get rich. Now, it might not be the fastest, but if you think about it, investing in the stock market, you can still build and maintain your wealth. You can create a passive income stream and you can also invest for your retirement because you don't, of course, want to work your whole life. If you look at some of the billionaires that we know in today's day and age, billionaires such as Warren Buffett, Armencio Ortega, Carlos Slim, even Bill Gates, they all have a good chunk of their wealth invested in the stock market. And they're pretty much just living off the proceeds and the dividends that they get from their investments. Some of the companies that they invest in are companies such as Apple, Microsoft, Coca-Cola. These are companies that you and myself have access to invest in also because these are publicly traded companies. If you think about Warren Buffett, he made all of his billions from investing in the stock market. It did not come from real estate. It did not come from crypto. It literally just came from investing in the stock market. That's why today I want to talk about the four different ways that you can make money by investing in the stock market. And at the end, I'll also have a bonus. Another way that you can make some passive income with investments that you already own. So some of the benefits of investing in the stock market is that, first of all, it's extremely easy to get started investing in the stock market. It's even easier than getting into real estate or even starting your own business because all you need is a brokerage account or an investment account and some money deposited in that account in order to get started. Now, you don't even need that much money in your brokerage account because you don't have to buy a whole share or a bunch of stocks. You can literally buy a fraction of a share. Another benefit also is that you can invest anywhere in the world as long as you have an internet connection and you have access to your brokerage account or investment account. So you can have your phone with you, you can be on vacation. And as long as you can log into your brokerage account and you have that internet connection, of course, you can buy and sell securities in the form of stocks. Now, another benefit is that you are your own boss. So this might be a good thing, this might be a bad thing, but for most of us, it's gonna be a good thing. You can decide what your investing style is. So if you're the type of investor that's more on the, the day trading side, so buying and selling at a frequent basis, or you're more of an investor that likes to go after growth stocks, so stocks in the tech sector, or you're more of a value investor, a buy and hold investor, you can decide what type of investor you are. So you have control over your future. And then the last benefit, of course, also is that you have a couple of bragging rights also. If you're the type of investor that likes to invest in individual companies, just like myself, let's say you bought Apple on Monday, and then a week later, the next Monday, Apple went up by 10% over that course of a week. You can go to your friends or family members and start bragging to them about, okay, look at my Apple stock. It just went up by 10%. You have that bragging right that, you know, will make them a little bit jealous. They might look at you and you ask them like, okay, what did you do the whole week? Well, I just went to work, of course. People will start asking you questions if they see that you're doing pretty well with your investments. The first method to make money in the stock market is through capital gains. Now, the easiest one to understand is buy low, sell high. So you buy a stock at a specific price and you sell it at a higher price and the difference is your profit. Now, a stock, of course, represents ownership. So whenever you're buying a stock, you own a piece of the company that you just bought. You're a shareholder or you're a stockholder. Now, those two words, shares and stocks, when I first got introduced to the investing world, I had to figure out, okay, why are those being used interchangeably? Because there is a difference. A share is a single unit. A stock could be a single unit or it could also be multiple units. So you would say, I own one share in Coke or I own 10 shares in Procter & Gamble. Or you could also say, I own stock in Coca-Cola and I own stock in Procter & Gamble. So the best way to remember this is that you own shares of stock in a specific company. Now, going back to capital gains, buy low, sell high. Let's say I bought Coke 
one Coke share at $55. A week later, it goes up to 60 bucks. I sell it. I just made a profit of five bucks. It went from 55 bucks to 60. I sell it. The difference, five bucks, that's my profit. Now, when it comes to capital gains, because the word capital gain is you buy the Coke at five, 55 bucks, it went up to 60 bucks. My capital gained in value. It went from 55 to 60. So I have a capital gain of five bucks. My capital gain is still something called unrealized if it's still trading in the market. Because when your investments are still in the stock market, they have the potential to go up, down, or sideways. Your capital gain, which is unrealized, becomes a realized capital gain when you sell your stock. So once your Coke goes from 55 to 60, it's still an unrealized gain because it's still in trading in the market. I sell it at 60, it becomes a realized gain. The second method of making money in the stock market is through short selling or selling short. Now, this is the opposite of buy low, sell high. And this is more of a riskier technique. It's more of an advanced technique. Buy low, sell high, the opposite. With short selling, you're selling high and buying low. And the difference is your profit. Let me explain with an example that's outside of the stock market. Then I'll bring it back to the stock market. So let's say you have a friend, one of your best friends. He just bought a PlayStation and he's playing the video games on it. He enjoys it. He talks to you about it. And you tell him, you know what? I'm interested also. Let me go ahead and and borrow your PlayStation. So he lends his PlayStation to you. And you're a horrible friend because you needed some money. And you end up selling his PlayStation for 500 bucks. A day or two later, your friend comes up to you. And he he talks to you about the PlayStation and the games. He asks you, oh, how how is everything going with with the games? And you're telling him like, oh, it's perfect. I love the PlayStation. I love the games. I'm thinking about buying my own. He tells you, okay, cool. I still want to go ahead and play my game. So can you bring back the PlayStation before the end of the week? Now you start to panic because you already sold the PlayStation and you're scrambling around. You're going to different stores and you happen to go to one store that sells new PlayStations at 200 bucks. You're like, perfect. Because I sold it for 500 bucks. I can buy it for 200. So you buy a new PlayStation for 200 bucks. You give it to your friend and you just made a profit of 300 bucks. So you sold it at a high price of 500 bucks. You bought it back at 200 bucks. The difference, 300 bucks, that's your profit. Bringing that to the stock market. Now your brokerage account will potentially charge you some fees, of course. And they will borrow those shares from investors that are with the company or even investors that are outside of the company. Now the tricky thing about selling short, because this of course is a risky method of making money in the stock market at least with buy low sell high the only money that you can lose is the money that you have invested into the stock market so let's say you invested 500 bucks into the stock market one company and that company ends up going bankrupt you only out that 500 bucks that you invested but with short selling your losses could be unlimited so for example let's say you you sold you did you were participating in short selling and you did a short sale on Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola was trading at 55 bucks. You think that Coca-Cola is going to drop to 40 bucks so you can buy it back and make that profit. That between 40 and 55, that's the profit that you're making at 15 bucks. But what actually ends up happening is that instead of Coca-Cola going down, the price actually goes up. So from 55, it's not going to 40, it's actually going to 60, 70, 80, 90. So as you can see, your losses are going to be unlimited because you still have to buy it back. The third way to make money in the stock market is through dividends. And this is more of a passive income method of making money. Companies, not all companies, but a lot of blue chip companies, companies that are well established, they might pay out a dividend. Companies sell goods and services and a portion of their profits, a portion of that net income is distributed to their shareholders in the form of a dividend. This is also one of my favorite ways of making money in the stock market. And I have my own rules on analyzing specific companies to see how they pay their dividend and if they're increasing the dividend. Because something that's extremely important to me is that companies that do pay a dividend, they need to be consistent with 
the dividends that they pay, and the dividend payment needs to grow faster than inflation year over year. That's the requirement that I have for these companies. So the fourth method to make money in the stock market is through options trading. Now, options trading can get a little bit confusing, but I'm going to try to keep it simple and explain it in a way that's simple to understand by talking about the call option method. Let's say you own 100 shares of stock in Coke. You bought Coke for 55 bucks. You're making money from Coke because Coke pays a dividend. They pay a dividend every quarter. So every quarter you're getting dividend checks, you're getting dividend payments. But you're not satisfied. You want to make even more money from your shares of stock in Coke. So what you end up doing is you end up writing an options contract. So in that contract, you're pretty much saying that I'm willing to sell my 100 shares in Coke at 60 bucks. 60 bucks, also called the strike price. The reason why I say 100 shares of stock is because the options contract is usually a lot of 100 shares. Now, if the buyer of this option contract agrees with my contract, he has to pay me a premium. Now, a premium might be $1 per share on this options contract for Coke, for my 100 shares in Coke. Now, the premium could be influenced by a multitude of things. If the options contract is for a stock that is popular, it's going to have an impact on the value of the premium. The closer the actual price of the stock is to the strike price, that means that the premium is usually going to be higher. But let's stick with one buck for one share in Coke and an options contract it's a lot of 100 so we're getting a premium of 100 bucks directly deposited into our brokerage account so let's talk about how the seller is making money then so i'm the seller in this case if coke which i bought for 55 bucks never went up to the strike price more than likely the buyer is not going to execute the options trade because why buy Coke when it's trading below 65. So I just made some additional money without even selling my shares in Coke because I still own the shares and I made a quick 100 bucks. Now, even if the options contract did get executed, I would still make some money because let's say I bought it at 55 and then the stock went up to 60 and it went past 60. The options contract gets executed and the buyer buys my 100 shares at 60 bucks. I still made a profit of 500 bucks plus the additional 100 bucks because I bought it at 55. It went up to 60. So that's a $5 increase. I own 100 shares in Coke. So five times 100. That's, I made a profit of 500 bucks plus the premium, the $100 premium. So I just made... A profit of 600 bucks from the buyer side i'm already 100 short i'm already 100 in the hole because i had to pay that as a premium to the seller now if coke never goes up to 60 i'm not going to execute that options trade because why buy coke at 60 when it's trading under 60 but here's the cool thing if coke goes up from 55 to 60 i execute the trade and it ends up going to 65 now i just potentially made $400 in profit because let's look at this. So Coke went from 55 to 60. I execute the trade as the buyer and then it goes from 60 to 65. Now I just made a $5 profit per share and I own 100 shares. So that's 500 bucks. It's still unrealized of course. So I end up selling at 65. Now I just made a quick profit of 400 bucks. Why? because that 500 bucks minus the premium of 100 bucks gives me that $400 in profit. That's pretty much how you want to look at options trading simplified. And the bonus method that I want to mention when it comes to making some additional income with the stocks that you already own, and you, this is a passive income method. And you can already make some passive income by investing in dividend paying stocks. But with this method, this method is called stock lending. So you can lend out the stocks that you own for, for example, short selling. Now, you do want to be careful with this method because if you own stocks that do pay a dividend, you want to make sure that you will still get the dividend payment if you're lending out your stock. Every brokerage firm is a little bit different. So definitely double check with your brokerage firm and make sure that you aren't taxed in a different manner when it comes to this because I've noticed that 
with Robinhood, you can do stock lending because there are some differences between those two brokerage firms and how they go about stock lending. So definitely make sure that you double check the fine print on stock lending. Now, this will not make you a millionaire, of course, but it is a quick way to make some additional passive income. Now, let's talk about investing in mutual funds, ETFs, index funds, and even bonds. Now, what are these funds actually? The best way to look at them and to think about them is that you have a pool of different investors' money. That money gets invested into different securities by a fund or money manager. Different securities such as stocks, bonds, commodities, etc. Or even a combination of those. Now, the benefit of this is that if you think about it, you might be an investor that does not want to invest in an individual stock. Or you might be an investor that likes to invest in individual stocks, but you need something that's maybe a little bit more safer, maybe a little bit more diversified. That's where these funds come into play. So when you invest in individual stocks, yes, it's extremely exciting because it's high risk, high reward, right? So you can see your stocks shoot up to the moon, but you can also easily see them come crashing down. A lot of investors cannot stomach seeing their investment portfolio dip down by 30%, maybe even 40%. And if you think about it also, when you invest in individual stocks, there's a lot of research that comes into play and a lot of analysis, also called fundamental analysis. This is where you look at the financial metrics of a company to see how profitable that company is. So you might look at the, the net income that a company generates, the return on invested capital, the return on equity, the gross profits. Investing in a fund gives you immediate diversification. That's one of the benefits compared to investing in individual stocks. So let's say you invest in an ETF that invests in different companies in the tech sector. You have immediate diversification in tech stocks, which you don't have when you invest in individual companies. Or you have an index fund that invests in the companies that are in the S&P 500, you have that immediate diversification. Another benefit is that index fund, mutual fund, even ETF investing is a passive way of investing. When you have to analyze stocks, you're actively doing the research, analyzing these companies. But investing in a fund, it's a more passive way of investing because you have a bunch of money that you just put into your brokerage account and at the right time you just put money into that, into buying that ETF, index fund, mutual fund, etc. Another benefit of investing in a fund is that the research has already been done for you. And the research is also still being done by the fund manager to make sure that the correct companies are in that fund that you're investing in. This makes it extremely easy because all you have to do is make sure that you're investing in the correct fund. Now, in order to get that confidence to know that you're investing in the correct fund, you need to look at the track record and the history of how that fund has performed. That will give you the confidence to make sure that that fund will perform well into the future. Now, the future is always unpredictable, of course. Anything can happen. But looking at the history and also looking at the fund manager's performance, how long has the fund manager been in the business, how many different funds is he or she managing, that will all give you the confidence to make sure that, yes, this is the fund that I want to invest in. So some of the disadvantages of investing in a fund is that you're pretty much taking your hard-earned money and you're giving it to a fund manager and you're telling the fund manager, here, go ahead, take my money and invest it. And for that privilege, you will pay the fund manager a fee, of course. Some investors don't like that. They still like to be hands-off with their investing investing in individual companies, day trading, swing trading, etc. Another disadvantage of investing in a fund is that you might not pay attention to what you're actually investing in. So there is a list of companies that you will be invested in, but you might not see that full list up front. If you are morally against specific businesses or business practices, let's say you don't like weapon sales or you don't like for-profit prison systems, or you're against CBD. Are you tired of feeling lost in the world of trading and investing? Get informed and inspired with the Talking Trading Podcast. I'm Louise Bedford, and I'll help you navigate the markets like a pro. 
Tune in each week and subscribe now at talkingtrading.com.au or on your favourite podcast app. Or check out the link in the show notes. Talking Trading, this is how traders excel. You want to make sure that the fund that you're investing in is not invested in those companies. Nowadays with technology, it's pretty easy to get a full list of the companies in a specific fund because all you have to do is go to the company's website, get a full list of the companies in the fund, or you can even request it from the website. You could also go to the SEC website and put in the the ticker symbol of the fund and get a list of all the companies in that specific fund. But that's something that you definitely need to pay attention to. If there are some things that you're against, make sure that you're not investing in those types of companies. Even when I look at my investing strategy, I love investing in individual companies. I like doing the research and putting them in my watch list. And I have a watch list of over 50 companies that I keep an eye on and I buy them whenever they're selling at a discount, whenever the value is there, preferably different paying companies. But I also have different funds that I invest in, different ETFs, different index funds. And it makes my portfolio balanced because there's instant diversification when I invest in the ETFs and index funds. But then I also have the individual funds where I'm making some passive income through my dividend paying stocks. Why do index funds and ETFs reign supreme over mutual funds on average? It's because of two things, the fees and the performance. Let's look at the fees first. And whenever I'm talking about the fees, I'm specifically talking about the expense ratio. Now, the expense ratio can cover a multitude of fees. Fees such as administrative fees, operating costs, commissions, advertising. These are fees that you will have to pay as an investor. On average, a mutual fund has a much higher fee and expense ratio than an index fund or an ETF that you're investing in. Mutual funds are actively managed by the fund manager, which means that the fund manager does all the research, the buying and the selling of all the securities in that specific fund and all the fees associated with the buying, selling, administrative costs, etc., etc., even paying the fund manager's bonus, that's all being paid by you. Now, with a index fund or an ETF, those usually track a underlying asset. So for example, if you're investing in an index fund that tracks all the companies in the S&P 500, the fee is going to be a lot lower because all that fund does is mirror all the companies in the S&P 500. When you look at a mutual fund, you could easily see fees in the 1% or even higher. But when it comes to index funds, you can see fees that are 0.1% or even lower. And Yes, even if a fund performs well, your fund went up 8% in a year, 10%, you would still have to take into account your expense ratio fees into your capital gain. And the second one, performance. Now, it has been noticed that mutual funds in the short term are able to outperform index funds and ETFs. But it's also been noticed that in the long term, index funds and ETFs that are being used as the benchmark, so for example, an index fund that mirrors the S&P 500, over the long term, those have widely outperformed mutual funds. And then even if you look at the mutual fund, take on that expensive expense ratio also. When it comes to bond investing, All you have to think about it is as you're giving out your money and you're getting interest payments back and at the end you get your invested capital back. So a corporation could go the stock market route in order to get money and do a initial public offering or they could also go the loan route and even a governmental institution. So with a governmental institution, for example, you give your money out to them, your capital, and they will tell you, okay, I owe you. So I'm getting your capital while I'm holding on to your capital. I'm going to give you interest payments on a frequent basis once every six months. And then I'm going to give you your invested capital back at a specific date, also called the maturity date. And some of the bonds that you can invest in are going to be your corporate bonds, governmental bonds, municipal bonds, which is going to be your local government. And the list goes on. 
Now, I like investing in a bond fund because when you invest in a bond fund, you don't have to do the research on which bonds to invest in because, yes, it's exciting to invest in individual stocks because you're doing the research and you have the hope that the stock that you're investing in is going to shoot to the moon and make you a lot of money. But with bond investing, it's a lot more stable. It's a lot more risk averse. It's more of a fixed income asset. So it's a lot more boring. When it comes to investing in bonds, I like the bond fund because I use it as a way to make passive income. On a monthly basis, I get my interest payments from my bond fund. Now, if you invest in individual bonds, you get paid every six months. But with a bond fund, because the bond fund is invested in so many different bonds, some of those are hitting the maturity date. Some of those are hitting an interest payment date. So you're constantly getting paid interest on a monthly basis. And then also, if you invest in individual bonds, there will be a maturity date where you will get your invested capital back. Then you have to take that capital again and then invest it in another bond. But when you invest in a bond fund, you will never have to worry about that because some of the bonds mature and then the fund manager is already invested in different bonds. So you can just hold on to your bond fund and use it as a passive income stream. So I like investing in individual companies, but I also keep my eye on some of the great index funds and ETFs that are out there because it makes my investing life easier and simpler. The four best index funds slash ETFs to invest in. Now, before I reveal those four, I do want to touch on the difference between index funds and ETFs because there are some differences. How you can do the research to make sure that you invest in the correct fund. I'm going to reveal the four index or ETFs funds, of course. And then if you are planning on investing globally, what you need to pay attention to. And also the future of these funds. Where do I see these funds go? Are they going to get more popular? Are they going to get less popular? So let's just jump into it. An index fund or an ETF is nothing more than a collection of securities that mirror a specific investment portfolio. So, for example, if you take the S&P 500, which is an index of the 500 biggest companies in the U.S., those companies within that investment have their own weight. So let's say company A is represented by 30%, company B might only be 5%. If you invest in an index fund that mirrors the S&P 500, your money will also be distributed based on that weight. The first index fund was created by John C. Bogle. He passed away in 2019, but he was the founder of the Vanguard Group. You can still invest in that index fund that he created, and it's still widely popular. It's an index fund that tracks the S&P 500. Now, the first ETF in the US also happens to track the S&P 500, and it's also widely popular. It's called the SPDR or also the SPY. The S&P 500 is a popular index to use as a benchmark. Many money managers and fund managers use that as a benchmark and comparing it to their own investments that they're managing. They're looking at how the S&P 500 is performing and they're trying to outperform the S&P 500. In the short term, they're more than likely able to outperform the S&P 500. The question is, can they do that over the long term? A major benefit that you have when you invest in an index fund or an ETF is that it eases you into the investing world without you having that much knowledge or experience when it comes to investing. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Even myself, the first index fund that I purchased was the 
VFINX, which was the Vanguard S&P 500 index fund. Now that index fund taught me a lot because it taught me how my fund was performing. So emotionally, how do I feel when I see my money go up, but also when I see the value of my investment portfolio go down. It also taught me about, okay, these are the 500 companies that I'm invested in and what's the specific weight by company. And one thing that I noticed that tech companies had more weight in that specific portfolio, the S&P 500. Another thing that I noticed was that every quarter I was getting paid a dividend, which is something that was new to me back when I first started investing in index funds and ETFs. So I was able to track my dividends and see, oh, my dividends gets reinvested back into the fund. So not only am I getting my capital gains, which is my investment increasing in value, I'm also getting that dividend that gets reinvested into that specific fund. Another thing that I also appreciate when investing in an index fund is that I'm immediately diversified. So in this case of the S&P 500, I'm investing in 500 companies. So I don't have to go out there and do the research on which companies I need to add into my portfolio. I don't have to cherry pick every single company. Just investing in the index fund, I'm immediately diversified. And also I don't have to manage and maintain those companies. Because if a company isn't performing well, according to the standards of the S&P 500, those get kicked out and then new companies are introduced into that S&P 500. And if you invest in an index fund, since the index fund mirrors that index, you will also have those new companies in your portfolio. Index funds versus ETFs. What's the difference between the two? What should you be paying attention to? Which one should you focus on? Now, when I first started investing, I focused on the index funds, but I actually like ETFs better. And there's three reasons why I like the ETFs better. The first one has to do with the fees associated with index funds and ETFs. If you take a bunch of index funds and you compare them to their equivalent ETFs, you'll notice that the fees on the ETFs are slightly lower than the fees of the index funds. Especially if you take a mutual fund and you compare the fees or the expense ratio with the equivalent ETF, you'll be blown away and shocked how much you're actually paying in fees for the mutual fund. And like I always say, any money that you can save in fees it's money that you can invest in order to build and grow your wealth. The second reason is that you can trade with ETFs just like how you can buy and sell stocks. So you can buy and sell whenever you want throughout the trading day. This is not something that you can do with an index fund because with an index fund or even a mutual fund, you can only trade at the end of the trading day. But with an ETF, you can trade in the morning, midday, even before the market closes. That's a big benefit. And the third reason for choosing an ETF over an index fund is because with an ETF, you can participate in options trading. Now, this is not something, of course, that you can do with an index fund, but a lot of investors like ETFs because of the options component attached to the ETF. With the ETF, more than likely cheaper than the index fund. When I invested in my index fund, I had to put $3,000 down just to get into that S&P 500 index fund. With the ETF, I can buy a single ETF of that same equivalent, which is currently around 300 bucks, and start trading. So the first one is the FIOO, which stands for the Vanguard 500 Index Fund ETF. Now this is the ETF, of course, if you want the index fund equivalent, you wanna take a look at the FIFINX or the FIFIAX. Now the FIOO is one of my personal favorites. It's also the first ETF that I started investing in. And with the FIOO, you're just trying to match the market. You're not trying to beat the market because the FIOO, the S&P 500, you're just mirroring the companies that are in the S&P 500, which is being used as the benchmark, of course. Now the second one is the BND. This is the Total Bond Market Index Fund ETF. Now, the cool thing about this one is that if you look at the top securities in this fund, they are all treasury notes. And the treasury note has a maturity date of between two and 10 years. All those treasury notes have different maturity dates and they have different interest payment dates. So with a normal treasury note, you get paid once every six months. But in the bond ETF, you get paid on a monthly basis. And even if a 
bond matures, you don't have to go out and buy new bonds because you can just be invested in BND, hold on to it, and you'll be getting interest payments on a monthly basis. The third one, I call it fee 2 but you actually spell it FEE-T-W-O, which is the Vanguard Russell 2000 Index Fund ETF. Now, the cool thing about this ETF is that it mirrors the Russell 2000. The Russell 2000 being 2000 small cap companies. The good thing about these small cap companies is that they have the potential to blow up and become mid cap or large cap companies. Also, small cap companies don't have that many eyeballs as the mid and large cap companies. So there are a lot of hidden gems available in that Russell 2000. And number four is the VXUS, which is the Vanguard Total International Stock Index Fund, ETF. Now, if you're the type of investor that wants to invest globally or even internationally outside of the US, you more than likely know that investing internationally, a whole new set of risks come into play that you normally don't have to think about. Economical risks, companies paying out dividends, but not as consistently as companies within the US. There's a lot of risk associated with investing in companies in countries that you might not be familiar with. That's where this ETF plays a big role in your investment portfolio. And I have an interesting story about international investing. I like to invest in individual companies, but I also like to invest in index funds and ETFs. And I was looking at investing in some of the companies in a different country. I was looking at investing in companies internationally. So I was looking at different countries and I was looking at different continents and I was using a stock screener in order to plug in my numbers to see which companies I can add to my watch list and then eventually buy. So I was looking in Brazil, I was looking in Africa, I was looking at China, India, and I found a handful of good companies to invest in. One of them was in China, which was China Mobile. So I went ahead and I think I paid about three to $400 to buy stock in China Mobile. So I was collecting the dividends on a frequent basis and I was watching the value go up and down like it always does in the stock market. But a couple of months after I bought it, the government actually banned China Mobile. So they did give you a heads up of a couple of months before the ban. But I'm the type of investor, I don't always look at my investments account on a daily basis, especially my international investments accounts. So what ended up happening was when I actually logged into my account, I noticed that the ticker symbol for China Mobile was turned into numbers. So I tried to sell it after I knew what happened and I couldn't sell it for a couple of months. And that's where international stock ETF fund would be perfect because a fund manager is always up on the latest information. So in this case, the fund manager would take the necessary actions in order to sell China Mobile, which of course I didn't know because I wasn't paying attention to all my international stocks. I was focusing on my watch list of the stocks within the US. And another one that you can add to the list is called FIO, which invests in mid cap companies. So we've hit the large cap companies with the VOO. We've hit the small cap companies with the V2, which invests in the Russell 2000 companies. We've also hit the bond market, which is the fixed income asset with the BND ETF. But if you also want to round it up, large cap, small cap, and then mid cap, make sure you take a look at VO. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Giovanni, I like this list, but why are all these ETFs and index funds Vanguard specific ones? Well, you can look at the equivalent ETFs and index funds from different companies such as Fidelity, but you will more than likely notice that Vanguard has the lowest expense ratio when it comes to their ETFs and index funds. Now, how do you do the research to make sure that you're investing in the correct index fund or ETF that has a proven track record of success? There are two things that I pay attention to, the management team and the performance. So let's talk about the management team first. Whenever you're investing, even in a mutual fund, index fund, ETF, you always wanna pay attention to the track record of the management team. How long have they been managing the fund? How long have they been in the business? The investing world is extremely competitive. So if you don't perform, you're out of there. So if you can find a fund, an index fund or an ETF that has a track record of success with the management team, more than likely that's a good one to stick with. For example, I'm gonna pick on one, the VFIAX, the Vanguard 
500 index admiral you can go to morningstar type in that ticker symbol you will get some results what you want to do is go to the people section the people section will show you the management team i already did the research and i noticed that donald and michelle are both on the management team managing this specific index fund they've both been managing this index fund for over five years not only that you can also get information of how long they've been in the business and also their educational history which also helps so picking on these two fund managers Donald has been managing different funds since 1997 and Michelle has been managing different funds since 2017 and then of course the second thing is performance now you can still do this you can still research performance on Morningstar but you can also go to for example Yahoo Finance just stick with the free stuff don't pay for this stuff sticking with Morningstar just scroll over to the performance tab and you'll see a graph with a benchmark more than likely the S&P 500 and then the index fund mutual fund or ETF that you chose and you can compare the two you can see how your index fund performed compared to that S&P 500 benchmark pretty much what you're looking for is your index fund your ETF your mutual fund needs to beat that benchmark now where do I see the popularity of ETFs and index funds going into the future well I think they're gonna get even more popular maybe not with the younger crowd because the younger crowd they wanna be a lot more risky when it comes to investing in individual stocks investing in crypto they want to make their money fast they want to become a millionaire fast but more of the older crowd 30 plus 30 and up they are more than likely gonna focus more on ETFs and index funds compared to for example the mutual funds and investing in individual stocks let's talk about growth versus value investing or you could also say growth stocks versus value stocks or even income stocks now with these two different stocks there's also two different methods to make money investors buy growth stocks because growth stocks have the possibility to grow in value faster than what the average stock market will do on a year-to-year -year basis so if the average stock market increases by 7 to 11 percent in a good year growth stocks can easily double that so you can see a growth stock that might hit 20 30 40 50 percent in growth in one year a company or a stock such as tesla is able to do that now with a value stock these are companies that are blue chip companies these are more stable these companies are more consistent and they might not be the most exciting companies they might not have products or services that are exciting to investors but they do bring a consistency that a lot of investors like and they pay out a dividend so a company such as Walmart or even Fastenal Fastenal is a company that sells screws it sells construction equipment this company is not really that interesting when it comes to the product that they sell but they do generate revenue and profits on a consistent basis which they also grow but not as fast as a growth stock would grow it so the primary way of making money with a growth stock versus a value stock it's the mindset that you have as an investor because if you invest in a growth stock you only care about the stock growing as fast as it can and then potentially selling it and making a profit so your mindset is of a capital gains mindset you want to make money from the capital gains that you will get from the growth stock with a value stock you're focusing on the stock giving you a consistent income in the form of a dividend the value stock can also of course jump up in value but that's not the primary reason why you would buy a value stock now yes of course you can still do options trading you can still do short selling but those two are the primary ways of making money with a growth stock versus a value stock so growth stocks in general don't pay a dividend because any profits that they make they put back into the business to grow the business as fast as possible a growth stock can be in pretty much any industry or sector but you will definitely see growth stocks in the technology sector and if you think about it technology you have to be creative you have to do a lot of research you have to beat out the competition so instead of taking some of that profit and paying it out as a dividend to the investor you don't want to do that you want to grow the company as fast as possible because in the tech sector there's so much competition so it's best to take the profit that the company generates and put it back into the business so some of the things that a company can do with the profits 
that they put back into the business is research and development, coming up more creative ways to promote their products, updating their equipment, expanding into different locations. There's a multitude of things that the company can do by putting the money back into the business. Take, for example, a company like Tesla. So Tesla sells electric cars and is widely popular, of course. But let's say Tesla came out with a new product. The new electronic car can drive on land, sea, and it can also fly. Just coming out with news like this more than likely will hype up investors to buy more shares in the company, which would potentially make the value of the stock go up even more. And since growth investors like to invest in companies that can increase in value faster than the average stock market performance year over year, these investors don't pay that much attention to the P.E. ratio of a company. The P.E. ratio standing for the price to earnings ratio. So the price to earnings ratio pretty much telling you how much price are you willing to pay for the earnings of a company. If you're a value investor, this is a metric that you pay attention to. Most value investors will look at P.E. ratios of 20 or less. But for a growth investor, since they predict that the sales revenue and earnings of a company will keep growing year over year, the P.E. ratio is not something that they primarily pay attention to. So the P.E. ratio, the price divided by the earnings per share, the earnings is the same as the net profit of a company. In order to calculate the earnings, all you have to do is look at the net profit of a company and divide it by the common shares outstanding. So let's say a company made $2 million in net profit, but they have only 1 million shares outstanding. The earnings would be $2. $2 million in net profit divided by $1 million in common shares outstanding. So $2 million divided by $1 million is $2 in earnings per share. The price is the price that you see on the stock market per share. So if a company is trading at $40 and the earnings is $2, the PE ratio is 40 divided by two is 20. So what are some of the metrics that you need to look at if you want to analyze a growth stock then? How can you tell if a growth stock is one that you want to invest in? There's two specific metrics that you can take a look at. The revenue of a company, it needs to grow year over year faster than what the average stock market return is. And also you can look at the net profit of a company. It's a little bit more tricky because there are a lot of growth stocks that actually have a net loss year over year, but their revenue keeps growing at a high pace. There are some other metrics that you can take a look at. You can take a look at debt. You can take a look at the return on equity, the return on invested capital. But when it comes to a growth stock, just looking at those two, the revenue and the net profit, those are the two main ones that you need to pay attention to. Now, if you take a company like Tesla and you look at their revenue growth, Tesla has been able to go 30 to 50% if you look at the last 5 to 10 years. Take another growth company like Amazon, and you can see that Amazon has been able to grow about 25% in the last 5 to 10 years. Think about what the average growth is of the stock market. So if you look at the S&P 500, you'll see anywhere between 7 to 11% growth year over year. Both Amazon and Tesla have shown more than double in growth compared to the average stock market growth year over year. Now with a value stock or an income stock, they might not see double digits in growth because that's not the focus. The focus is on the consistency. Yes, they will still grow year over year, but the focus is more on the income that they pay in the form as a dividend to their shareholders. Now, if you look at a stock market decline or a stock market dip or even a recession, there's something interesting that you will see between growth and value investing. With a growth stock, of course, you need to think about the mindset of the investor. They want to buy a stock that will go up in value fast and continue to go up year over year. When everything is going well in the stock market, people are more optimistic and they will pay more and they will buy more shares in specific companies. With a stock market decline or crash, people get a lot more pessimistic. If you look at the growth stock, instead of going up, of course, it's going to dip down, it's going to crash. So people might panic and sell their growth stock. Meanwhile, with a value stock, those, of course, yes, they will also dip in value. But because most value stocks still pay out a dividend, so some might cut their dividend or some might cancel their dividend, but there are still a lot of companies that even in a stock market decline, 
they pay out a dividend and they even grow their dividend. And those are the companies that I like to invest in. Investors are more than likely to hold on to those investments in value stocks because they still get a payment in the form of a dividend on a quarterly basis. Let's look at technical versus fundamental analysis and how that plays a specific part or a specific role when you look at growth versus value investing. Fundamental analysis is when you look at the financial metrics of a company, how well the company is performing. You look at the sales, revenue, book value, return on invested capital, etc., etc. Technical analysis is when you look at the charts and you try to figure out how that stock is trending on the chart screen. Value investors like to focus on the fundamentals of the company and then buy the company when it's selling at a discount. Meanwhile, growth investors, they don't necessarily focus on fundamental analysis. Some of them do focus on technical analysis because they want to buy the company at a cheap price and then be able to sell it at a higher price for a capital gain. There are also a lot of day traders and swing traders that like to jump in to the stock market and buy growth stocks in order to profit from small changes in the price of the stock. You can still do day trading with value stocks, of course, but the benefit of doing it with growth stocks is because growth stocks have that potential and that possibility to go up and down in value fast. That's why growth stocks are usually preferred with day traders and swing traders or even scalpers. Now, if you're an investor just starting out and you now know about growth versus value, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, which one would be better for my investment portfolio, a growth stock or a value stock? Now, my thing is always, why not both? Because I like to invest in both. I like to invest in value stocks for their consistency in income, but I also like to keep my eye on the growth stocks because those, of course, have the potential to go up in value. So you're not limited to either or. You can have both in your portfolio. You can also take a look at how much risk you can endure when it comes to investing in the stock market. If you're somebody that's more risk averse, value stocks will be more in your lane because those, they pay an income on a consistent basis. They're more stable in a stock market decline. Yes, they will dip, but you can still hold on to them compared to the growth stock. Those are more risky stocks that you can invest in because you're investing in the potential growth of that company. But keep in mind that growth stocks are more fun than value stocks in general. So growth stocks produce products or services that are more enticing to investors, electric cars, music, technology, compared to value stocks, which produce products or services that might be a little bit more on the boring side, but there's nothing wrong with being boring and consistent. The top five best growth stocks that you need to pay attention to. Now, I also want to talk about the market cap and how that plays a role when you look at growth stocks. I want to talk about the IPO. I want to talk about some of the indexes where you can find some of these growth stocks. And I also want to give my two cents on growth stocks. What do I think of them? Growth stocks are fun. Growth stocks are addictive. There's nothing more exciting than logging into your brokerage account in the morning just to see how your growth stocks are performing. And most people love growth stocks because... It's all over the news. It's all over the media. Most growth stocks are going to be in the tech sector, the technology sector, but other sectors also can have growth stocks. But the tech sector is exciting because the tech sector is always on the cutting edge of things. They're creative. They're coming out with new products, new technology. And people get hyped up about that stuff. People get excited and then they want to invest in it. They want to see their capital grow. Growth stocks are also the stocks that investors use in order to potentially grow their wealth fast. Those are the stocks that people talk about when you hear the stories of somebody bought a stock today and then a couple of days later, they saw their capital gain shoot by 30, 50% or even more. Now, the first growth stock that you need to pay attention to and that you need to have on your watch list is Shopify. Now, Shopify is a e-commerce platform that allows you to set up your shop online. All you have to do is buy the domain, set up your shop, make sure that you pick the right theme, upload your products, set up your payment processing. And before you know it, you can start getting sales after you do the marketing and advertising, of course, of your products. So it's a very easy platform to use. I've also set up a couple of Shopify stores in the past where I would sell anything from fitness equipment or fitness clothes to women's handbags. And most of your sales are going to come from mobile devices. From a growth stock perspective, if you look at the financials, Shopify has been able to grow their revenue year over year in the past five years 
by 50%. That's a great thing because if you look at the stock market average, the stock market on average grows on a good year by 10 to 11%. So seeing a company able to grow 50% on average year over year, that's a growth stock that you need to pay attention to. Number two is Netflix. Now, Netflix is the most popular streaming service at the moment because they're doing a great job of not only expanding into different countries, but they also do a great job of keeping their content as diverse as possible. So there's content and even games for any type of viewer. If you like horror movies, if you like documentaries, if you like action movies, if you like crime docs, Netflix has shows for pretty much everybody. From a financial standpoint, Netflix has been able to grow, if you look at the five-year average and also the 10-year average, they've been able to grow by 25%. And also the reason why Netflix is the market leader in their space and they're able to not only grow their user base, but also retain the users that they have is because they constantly come out with good shows. Most of the revenue that they generate, they put back into the business by producing content that viewers want to see. Number three is Amazon. Now, Amazon is a $1.2 trillion company. During the pandemic, Amazon saw their sales soar while other retail stores and smaller chains saw either their business go bankrupt or their business slow down tremendously. It's because of Amazon that companies such as Walmart and Target had to speed up their entrance into the online e-commerce world. And Amazon has pretty much set the standard for fast shipping, or in this case, one-day shipping. Most people that I know love buying their products from Amazon. And Amazon is always on the cutting edge with coming out with new ideas and then implementing them as fast as they can. So yes, you can buy your goods on Amazon, but there are also Amazon stores in specific locations that you can go to. Going back to the financials, Amazon generates all of their revenue from three sectors, North America, International, and AWS. AWS standing for Amazon Web Services. Small and big companies that don't want to have their technology infrastructure in-house, they have the possibility to outsource it to AWS. Number four is Tesla. Now, Tesla is a $700 billion company. If you look at their revenue in the past five to 10 years, they've been able to grow their revenue by 33 to 50%, which is astounding. Tesla, widely popular, the best-selling car used to be the Model 3, but doing my research, I've noticed that the Model Y has been picking up steam and is currently the best-selling Tesla car at the moment. Tesla is doing so well with selling their electric cars and then also expanding into different countries. Right now, China is one of the fastest growing markets for Tesla. And even when I went on vacation to Europe, I went to the Netherlands to visit my family. While I was on the highway, I was paying attention to the cars that I saw on the highway and one in four to one in five cars that I saw in Amsterdam were Tesla cars. That's how popular they are in Europe also. Tesla has been operating at a net loss for many years. It wasn't until 2020 that they turned their net loss into a net profit. But the whole thing with these growth companies and these growth stocks is that they focus on growth. They focus on getting their revenue as high as possible because they want to beat out the competition. They will grow even if that means operating at a net loss for many years. All they then need to do is make a couple of tweaks in order to turn their net loss into a net profit. And number five is Spotify. Now, Spotify is not as big as the Amazons out there or the Teslas because Spotify is a $16 billion company and it's also operating at a net loss. But Spotify has been making a lot of headway into also growing as fast as possible because they started in the music industry, then they got into podcasting, and now they just added audiobooks. So they have three pillars now, the three-headed monster. Also, with Spotify, they want to dominate the audio space. They want to capture your ear. And Spotify always comes up with new ideas, cutting-edge technology, anything that they can do to make it easier for their listeners to enjoy the platform. And Spotify is also good at monetizing the user base that they have. So they have the subscription model, they have ads that are running, but then they also have a retail model, which they introduced when they introduced the audiobooks to their platform. 
Now, why these five companies? Because there also are a lot of smaller companies that nobody has heard of that are seeing record growth. The reason why you want to take a look at these five companies is because they are not only dominant in their space, they're the leaders in their space. They're also seeing record year growth year over year, and they're also not going to go away anytime soon. Most people know about them. Most people talk about them, which makes them popular. So your cousin might talk about them. Your uncle might talk about buying them. The media is talking about these companies. Not only are they popular now, they're going to be more than likely popular in the future because these companies are always on the cutting edge when it comes to technology within their space, making sure that they come up with creative ways in order to retain their customers. And also the management team is doing a great job of managing the day-to-day business practices. Also, another thing that you need to pay attention to is that all of these companies that I mentioned are large to mega cap stocks. Now, this is where the market capitalization comes into play because market capitalization lets you know the value of a company, how much a company is worth. So when I say a company like Tesla is worth 700 billion, that goes to the market cap of the company. How do you calculate the market cap? The market cap is calculated by taking the price of a single share and multiplying it by the common shares outstanding. So if a company has a $50 price for their stock and they have 1 million shares outstanding, the market cap is 50 times 1 million is 50 million. So depending on the value of a company, it will fall under a specific cap. So a company that is 300 million or less, there's going to be a micro cap. Anywhere between 300 million and 2 billion, that's going to be a small cap company. 2 billion to 10 billion, that's going to be a mid cap. 10 billion to 200 billion, that's going to be a large cap. And anything over 200 billion, that's going to be a mega cap company. Now, I focused on the large and mega cap companies, but you can definitely also take a look at micro cap, small cap, and even mid cap companies. Because those companies, even though they might not be as famous as the large, and mega cap companies, there is still potential because there are not that many eyes on those types of companies in the smaller cap companies, but they have that potential to blow up also and become large cap or even mega cap companies. But of course, a lot of risk involved in all of these companies. Doesn't matter if they're a small cap company or a large cap company. Always remember that investing is risky. Now, if you want to know which indexes these companies are trading on, all of these companies will be found on the S&P 500, which is the standard Sampor 500, which has the 500 largest companies in the U.S. So all of the companies in the S&P 500 are indexed based on weight. So some of the companies take over a larger percentage, and most of those companies are going to be in the tech sector. Apple being the number one. Another index is the NASDAQ 100. Now, the NASDAQ 100 is similar to the S&P 500. It, of course, it has less stocks in their index, but most of the stocks are highly focused on the technology sector, which is all of the stocks that I mentioned also in the top five list. And even if you look at the top six companies in the NASDAQ 100, the top six companies take up 37% of the whole index. So some of those companies are going to be Google, Amazon, Apple, even Tesla. Another index that's widely popular is the Russell 2000. So the Russell 2000 is an index for approximately the 2000 biggest small cap companies that are out there. Now with those companies, of course, a lot of potential in the Russell 2000. If you want to invest in the Russell 2000, all you have to do is find an index that mirrors the Russell 2000, or you could also do the research and make sure that some of the companies in the Russell 2000 have seen year-over-year growth as the average of what the Russell 2000 does on a yearly basis. And those are some of the companies that you want to pay attention to. Make sure you look at their business model. Is it one that can grow into the future? Is it one that will need to change? Does it have stability? If that company is a small cap company right now, does it have the potential to become a mid cap company or even a large cap company? Make sure you also take a look at the management team, how they are performing on a day to day basis. These are some of the things that I would pay attention to if I wanted to invest in a company, a small cap company that's in the Russell 2000. But just in general, I would focus on an index fund that just mirrors the Russell 2000. Another one is the Wilshire 5000. 
This index contains all of the publicly traded companies from the U.S. So if you want to invest in all of the companies in the U.S., whether it be small cap, micro cap, large cap, mid cap, mega cap, the Wilshire 5000 is one that you need to pay attention to. It's not necessarily one of my favorite because I like to be a lot more detailed with specific companies that I want to invest in. But if you just want to have a basket of literally all the companies, the Wilshire 5000 is the one that you need to pay attention to. When the Wilshire 5000 was introduced, it had 5,000 companies in the index. Currently, it has about 3,300 to 3,500 companies, anywhere in between. And the last one is the penny stock market, the OTC market. Now, this is an interesting market because there are a lot of companies that kind of get on the more reputable stock exchanges. For example, the NASDAQ. Because there are rules in order to get on these stock exchanges. Like some of the rules might be that a company that wants to get on the specific stock exchange, that company needs to be able to generate a specific amount of revenue year over year. A company also needs to be able to keep their stock price above one buck. Because if they fall below one dollar for over a period of time, let's say six months, they will get a notification that they're going to be potentially deplatformed from the stock exchange. But now the penny stock market is extremely risky because most of those companies don't even need to register their financials with the SEC. So a lot of risk involved in the penny stock market, plus the trading volume is not that liquid. So it's not as easy to buy and sell compared to some of the more popular stock exchanges. So be careful with the penny stock market, with the OTC market. I don't like to dabble in it, but there are a lot of investors that take a peek at the penny stock market. So with growth companies, of course, these companies focus on growth growing the company as fast as possible because they want to grow into different states. They might grow into different countries. They might want to introduce new products and produce them on a mass scale. They might need to hire more employees. So growth is the focus, even if it means operating at a net loss. One of the things that a company can take a look at if they are a private company is to go through the IPO process, which is the initial public offering. This is a process where a private company turns into a public company by going onto the stock market. This is a great way for a company to generate a large amount of capital. When a company goes from being a private company to a public company through the IPO process, that does not guarantee that this company will be a profitable company, of course. And also one of the disadvantages of a private company going public, all the financials of the company also need to be public for the investors and the general market. With a private company, a private company does not have to display a report or even show any of their financials. But publicly traded companies do need to do that. Another disadvantage, of course, is also that your competition also has access now to all your financial data. And they can use it in whatever way they see fit. Now, I like growth stocks. I prefer dividend-paying stocks. But the thing that I like about growth stocks is the excitement around the stock, which, of course, has to deal with the underlying company. Because that company more than likely produces a product that a wide range of people like. If you take a Tesla, so many people like their electric cars. So that's the thing that I look at when I think of growth stocks. Because when I think of dividend-paying stocks, those are more consistent but they are usually in a boring field or they produce products that are not that exciting. But with the growth stocks, everybody talks about them. Even some of my friends might tell me about some of the growth stocks and asking me if I, okay, should I buy this particular stock? Then I always tell them, okay, make sure that you do the research first before you buy any type of company. And also always remember that investing, it doesn't even matter if it's a growth stock, a dividend-paying stock, or you're investing in a penny stock, always know that it's risky. There's always risk involved when it comes to investing. Now, if you enjoy my content on stock market investing, then be sure to follow my podcast. And check out my show notes below for exclusive premium content that will take your investing to the next level. In the show notes, I also link to my books, my Instagram so you can follow me, and my YouTube channel. I'll catch you in the next episode.